CNN jumps the shark with the Democratic debate. They beyond jump the shark. If there's a term for beyond jump the shark, that's what <laughs> CNN did in the Democratic debate. And is there a strategy behind all of this debate madness? Yes, there is. We're going to talk about that and much, much more in this episode of the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Prez. Monica, how are you today? Super terrific. How are you doing? I'm good. I thought you were going to say Super Trooper for a second there. What's Super Trooper? It's a movie. It's a stoner movie. Is it really? Yeah. It sounds like people who call in and say the traffic on WSB. Maybe it's that also. They have all silly names and whatnot. Yeah, I always wonder what my traffic name might be if I were to <laughs> ever call in. Eagle Eye Brad. Eagle Eye, maybe. Mm-hmm. So did you get a chance to check out the debate last night? No, I told you my problem with the God debates in real time. Yeah. <laughs> because I can't do it in real time. I didn't watch I it in real to, time. I have to do it with two times speed or one and a half times speed on YouTube. But Which stinks because I can't tweet it. But I'm sick of Twitter. Anyway. You would not be talking to me right now <laughs> if I had watched it in real time because I would not have been able to take it. Uh-huh. First of all, the presentation of the debate, it's like they modeled this thing after an Atlantic City burlesque show with a flash bulb lighting and the graphics whooping and wishing and whooshing in and out of the screen. To say that it was a bit much would be a little bit of an understatement. The commentary aspect of it was probably more like an all-star game for the NBA or something where it was just – it was a joke, really. There was nothing serious about it. Then you have the 10 candidates lined up on stage like it's some sort of speed dating or, or like you're watching The Bachelorette and they're trying to win you over – Except the only problem is all of them had the exact same pickup line, and it's like, why should I choose you, baby? Well, baby, Trump is racist. <laughs> and what about the selection? Was that a crock or uh, I what? got some stuff for the selection also. The funniest part about the selection to me is the way that CNN emphasized transparency. We're showing you how we pick it because <laughs> it's transparent. We're going to show you the videos of us picking the cards. It's like watching The Price is Right. The game. Do you remember when Anderson Cooper had a follow-up question for that in the debate a couple of years ago when he he asked a question and the guy who was answering went completely off on a tangent, like completely unrelated. He was like talking about central banks or something that had nothing to do with anything. And Anderson Cooper on the same card like asks a follow-up question about central banking. Do you remember that? It was on film. Like, yeah. I was showing it. People were real. Then the trolls came out and were attacking me. Yeah, I, uh, I do remember that. Yes, and you defended me because you knew the guy was full of it, which he was. But I'm just saying CNN is not transparent, and it does not. Yeah, I'm going to play you some clips from that thing. The integrity hat in the past certainly was lacking. The thing about this debate, I'm watching on double speed, and, I, and I'm searching the internet for any any type of platform that has, like, quadruple speed to help me get through this. It's amazing sometimes that you can't even tell it's double speed. And then when you put it on normal speed, it sounds like they're all on quaaludes. Yeah, it really does. I got to a point where I felt like this was a social experiment where they were seeing how many Americans were willing to subject themselves to the -hmm. most brutal form of torture. Yeah. Possible. Like, like, let's make this the most treacherous, horrible thing and see how long people will continue to watch. I've never been tortured. That felt like it was probably what mental torture is like to me when they force you to watch the TV and don't let you sleep. It's like all of the people who are watching are in the media. I, yeah. <laughs> Just there because they have to report on it. Did they happen to say how many people watched? I mean, I'm sure it would be a lie, but. I saw the number. I don't remember what it was. It was. Right. Did it, it have a, any commas in it? 
That, yeah, there's definitely some commas in it, but I don't think it was what they were hoping for. It was 10 people lined up getting 30-second sound bites, just rapid fire, all saying basically the exact same thing. Some of them with a little bit of, little bit of a different tone. My quick takeaway can be summed up by Marianne. What's her name? Williamson? Yeah. She sums it up pretty well, I think, in this clip. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> That's what I heard most of the night. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> She's always been my favorite. The thing about the debate, I'm watching this thing and I'm going, everybody watching this, everybody moderating this, everybody commentating on this, everybody in this, everyone knows that no one on that stage is going to win the nomination. It's like the NBA playoffs, except instead of watching the teams in the playoffs, everybody's watching all the non-playoff teams compete for nothing because none of them are going to win. <laughs> like when my son's little, little league has like the losers keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> none of them are going to win, yet we all engage in the exercise of doing it, and it's torture, and they have a purpose for doing it. They have 10 people on each thing. So there's 20, and people think that's just overkill. There's a purpose behind that. There's a couple reasons for it. One of them is people accept talking points from people that they identify with. So when you have 20 different people up there, then you can have 20 different – even though a lot of them look similar. Like last night was a bunch of white rich people screaming about how another white rich person is a racist. And even though they all look alike, they all hit different segments of the population. Like Marianne Williamson is going to have different audience than – Buttigieg, or I still can't say Whatever, his name, then Mayor Pete. Buttigieg. Yeah, Buttigieg. So <laughs> someone who might not like something that Bernie says because they don't like Bernie, they're going to accept that talking point from a candidate that they do like, and it's a process of repetition. They say it a little bit different, but it gets drilled into the person's head from somebody they identify with, and then once that person drops out, it's already there, and then it gets stronger when that person they like endorses whoever the main candidate is. So there is a strategy to having a whole bunch of people deliver basically the same message, and also what they were doing last night is the different – where they really differentiated during the debate was this. You can see every single headline you can tell with the talking point that they wanted to take away was – and I, probably like 20 different headlines I went through. They were all about how it was a fight between the moderates and the progressives, and the progressives won, and the moderates are taking their last breath. That's exactly the Wall Street Journal headline is Sanders, Warren, fight back against moderates in debate. Exactly. And they. And this is why – this is how that little draw that CNN did plays in. They wanted to make it feel like it was transparent. But this was exactly like when you do a panel discussion on CNN or wherever and you have six Democrats – who all look nice, speak nice. Then you have one Republican who's got food on his shirt, food on his face, his hair is crazy, and he can't really talk very well. That Republican's not on that panel to represent the alternative point of view. That Republican is on that panel to destroy the credibility of that point of view. It's the only reason they bring him on. Is they bring on somebody crazy who doesn't represent the point of view well, and that's what was going on in this debate is Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Everybody in the world knew they were going to be declared the winners after this thing, although if you watch it, that's not clear. I mean if you watch it, nobody wins. The devil wins if you watch it. It's the only person that wins, and we all lose. They had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who were kind of the two powerhouses versus a bunch of no-name moderates. All the moderates were no-names who were put up there against the powerhouse progressives so that they could get beat down and make their point of view look weak. 
since they were being delivered from weak candidates. And that's what I think that was a setup for that purpose for this first debate anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Am I yeah, yeah. rambling totally. too fast here? <laughs> no, no. I think that I, that's what I believe that's how they all of this framing is all about that. Plus, they're layering in. I noticed a Time magazine cover that had like all the Democrat candidates in a kind of like I, comic book. I saw cow. that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's clear that they're they just flip from party to party how they want it to look. So the Republicans had that Tea Party problem and the Libertarian problem where the Republican Party was being torn apart from the inside. And I and I believe that a lot of that was grassroots, like Obama was just too much for them to take because it was just Obamacare and socialism. And I mean, putting socialized medicine into the United States has been a struggle for decades and people just did not want it. So the, I think there was a genuine grassroots uprising, which was then hijacked and exploited by the establishment who just decided to categorize that a little more Join together Tea Party, taxed enough already, with the religious warmongering right, which should be separate factions. That's why the Tea Party arose. But that infighting per- allowed them to put a candidate up that clearly is not or or does not have an image that's within the Overton window. The Overton window is where your position on an issue yes. can't be – You nailed don't it know that. right there. That was – Part of what this debate was about was to control that Overton window, to control the framing with which the public thinks about these issues and to make the moderate position look like it's weak and crumbling in the face of these this powerhouse Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who between them are 290 years old. And- are they really? No, 292 yeah. <laughs> of them? No. Yeah. But in reality, they're probably 150. Yeah. He's 77. She's probably 70. Yeah, and they never made an issue of the fact that Trump was the oldest president ever to I be know. inaugurated for the first time. I, if I'm I think the mistaken. age issue will be a factor tonight. I mean, older than Reagan, who was widely mocked for being old. Right. And I think I, we talked about this in, in the last show. I think the age thing is going to come up soon. And I thought it was interesting that last night nobody took a shot at the age thing. At, at Bernie's the oldest candidate in the thing. In fact, Mayor Pete, who is also on their side, he, he made a point to say the age doesn't matter. Age, he, he talks like Obama. He has the same cadence and, and uses the same type of tone as Obama. Yeah, yeah. And so he intentionally helped Bernie out with the age thing. Nobody brought it up. And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie were just lock in step. It was like they were a duo on one, the tennis court punch. helping yeah. each other. Yeah, they were one-two punching the moderates on the stage whose name nobody knows and everybody's already forgotten. Uh-huh. So weak. And Beta, Beta Aurora, Beta Aurora. Him Beta Aurora. Watching him was like watching someone at a bad open mic stand up. He kept fumbling over himself, kept really? forgetting his lines. He, he just had, kept reverting into Spanish accidentally, forgetting to think. Yeah, he English. had no idea where he was. He played air guitar, air drums, started skateboarding around the stage. Maybe he's not that smart. He doesn't seem that smart. He seemed like he was baked, like he ate a pan full <laughs> of pot brownies. Before that debate last night. So it wasn't like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders shined. It was like everybody else was no name or terrible except the person who actually made the biggest splash, but it's not going to matter. She'll continue to make kind of the headlines was Williamson because she said a bunch of mystic type stuff like she does. You know? Yeah, I mean, she's clearly there as a – well, I shouldn't say clearly, but I mean – it looks like she's there as a foil as to – as an appeasement to you think – 
So the moderates versus the progressives, and then she gets to be the outlier beyond the progressives to make. So I took, I once worked on a mass, a mattress company. I like was a banker for a mattress company and they said their pricing policy method, which is common in like highly marketed products is that you have an overpriced top line product just to make the second highest priced product look more moderately priced. So they're trying to sell mm-hmm. you the A, not the A plus. Yeah. That's where their margin is. And the A plus, like they have tons of margin there, but it's definitely not worth it. And they have no expectation of selling you that. So, but they have to have something that's even more outrageously priced to make yeah. the, yeah. It's the three choices that they put in. It's a marketing technique where you get, you offer three cho- choices and you really want them to choose the second one. Yeah, it's so. very clear when you're trying to tip on Uber that that's what they're doing yeah. because the tipping amounts change. Sometimes they're percentages, sometimes they're dollars. They are like some percent. It'll say at dollars when the percentage would be like outrageous. They don't want to have you do less than a dollar. Well, that would always be low anyway. But they, I, I've noticed they play games like that. But they clearly always want you to pick the middle one. Yeah, I, and I think tonight we're recording this before the second, second debate on Wednesday. I think tonight's going to be a little bit reversed. I think age will come up, or at least it'll be hinted at. And it wasn't last night because they didn't want to undermine that Warren and Sanders are victorious and their message dominated. But tonight, you're going to have Biden, who's more of a moderate, and Kamala Harris, who pretends to be a progressive. But if you look at her history, she's probably more of a moderate. She was a prosecutor. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not. And she's connected to the Knights Templar (laughs) that nobody ever likes to mention. What is the connection exactly? Can you repeat that? The connection is that she employed someone when she was the attorney general of California. And this person, first of all, this person, she personally thanks him in her truancy report for the good work that he did on a special team that she selected and put him on. He is personally thanked for his great work. So he's not nobody on her staff. He's not He's not an intern like they made it out to be afterwards. This person used to go around with his buddy. His buddy went by the Grand Master, and there's pictures of these two guys with Bill Clinton and Maxine Waters giving her award and, and them wearing weird Illuminati-type outfits, just strange things. They were going around police precincts in California telling them that they are part of the Masonic Fraternal Police Order, which is descended from the very first police department, the Knights Templar. And when asked – well, ultimately they told them they said – Oh, because the Knights Templar. I know we've covered this in a whole show. You should pull the episode in case people want to follow up on it. But the Knights Templar arose, if I'm not mistaken, uh, hand-in-hand with banking, and that's when like bills of – uh, like they they would go in the Crusades from like France to the Middle East and they would carry letters that said, if this person presents this, this bank in France will pay you. So they didn't travel with gold or if they did travel with gold, they defended it. So it was kind of hand in hand security and banking. If I have to refresh my memory, but it would make sense that they would 
consider themselves like the international fraternal order of police directly descended from yeah. that, if not earlier. Yeah, well, these guys were going around saying that they had the authority of the Knights Templar. You know, I got to add that that Sheriff Israel, the thing that set up a flag for me before anyone criticized him at all, they were still setting him up as a hero before they decided to flip it or had to flip it. He went to like FBI training or whatever in D.C. for like the national association of police like the police have you think it's subsidiarity to have them in your town but they do have these loyalties from what i am gathering above just the local so this doesn't surprise me that this thing you know it it looks like when you showed me the pictures of this originally it looks very ridiculous yeah well it's a crazy story they they told him but and and the outfits are so ridiculous that you think, do you really have to wear the crazy outfit and get a picture and in it? And the guy like, died right after making yeah. a YouTube video saying he was going to be killed after begging Kamala Harris for help. And he died before his trial date. And the other guy got off mysteriously, the guy who worked for Kamala. Right. And nobody's heard from him since. You can't find anything about this guy since. And when asked when he was arrested, if Kamala Harris's office knew about this, he said, yeah. They endorsed it. That's what he used to get his foot in the door to tell them that he's got jurisdiction over them and all of Mexico. I'll link the show in the notes. It's a strange story. And this stuff is in the archives of the newspapers. This isn't like conspiratorial stuff. This is all on the record. And she's never been asked and she's never answered a question about it. I see no way that she can continue to move forward with something like that that's that easy to find out there. But I think tonight people are going to practice attacking a Trump-like figure because they call him racist. And then tonight, obviously going to be a theme of racism. Yeah, because they have the matchup, the Kamala Harris-Biden matchup, which they were not going to sacrifice for the random drawing. Not only did the random drawing put them in the same field, the random drawing happened to place Joe Biden because it also chose where they stand on the stage. (laughs) Who do you think it put him in between? Um, don't tell me. Kamala Harris and Tulsi Gabbard? No. Cory Booker, the two black candidates. Oh, oh, oh. I was thinking of Tulsi Gabbard as a person of color. Yeah. They put the racist, the Trump-like racist, in between the two black candidates. What a joke. They say it's norm. They say this is random. And my guess is that he's going to look like nervous or pissed off the whole time. Yes, I think it's pissed off because he's been saying he's going to go on attack. So it's... A setup to make him look like he's just so uncomfortable. Right. And to show him attacking Kamala and them and maybe how Kamala handles it. I don't know. But it'll be totally dialectical because it'll be obvious that he's being set up. Like he's going to be sympathetic to some viewers. Yes. The week before the debates, we have the go back to your country story that's just the most racist thing in the world. Everybody's racist. And then Does we- everybody know about the Erica Thomas uh, oh, tell us about episode. it. Erica Thomas said she came out nationally. She's a local Georgia state representative of some kind, state government. And she said that some guy said to her, go back where you came from. And I, it was a Cuban guy, although <laughs> I think his name was Sparks. And uh, But witnesses, which corro- corroborated a video yeah, that had multiple no sound. Multiple witnesses. Yeah, said that it's she who said it to him. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, that she's the one who made it a national story. And she was crying and everything. When you look at that, and I have to tell you about this Pulse nightclub thing when you have time, which kind of folds into a few things that we're talking about. 
uh, one like Kamala Harris vouching for this guy. I have something like that in this story and that the person is an actor faking everything with some some support until the BS is called. But yeah, but they but when you watch that, when you see her crying real tears, I mean, you you, you have to realize that some of these people are acting. Absolutely. And they put stories like that. They make it the dominant story of the media cycle because there was that one, and then there was rat infestation in Baltimore. So they put those stories in the news the week before these debates so that that race issue – because we're going to hear this stuff the entire time up until 2020 – so that that race issue is prominent in people's minds and that it can be a subject of the debate – Really, the underlying theme of the entire debate, and they can use those specific examples. And then there was a little bit of gun control stuff, which was interesting because there was also a shooting last week, which put that prominently in the spotlight briefly. Very coincidental how all these stories combine in one week right before they're all the subject of a debate. Yeah, You're preaching to the choir. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I think all this stuff is place uh but i would i am actually curious to know what the over under or whatever the odds are in vegas on abrams oh here's here's what i think is going to happen that's a good question i think tonight's debate is going to be no real winners and i think force her to join yeah i think the conversation is going to start to be there's nobody in the democratic field that can beat trump and i think that's going to start to open the door for the conversation for her identity politics will win the debate tonight that's what's going to win a person is not necessarily going to win but i think identity politics will and okay i want to play you some clips from the draw that we were talking about earlier. I don't know how I missed this last week, but I did, and I watched it, and it's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Anybody who's ever watched the NBA draft where they do the balls bouncing around and they, they select the order of the draft like that, the lottery, it's a big production. It's a, it's a circus, really. They did something similar on CNN called The Draw where they were being transparent to show us how they do the selection process because they want us to know that it's not rigged, you know, that it just randomly happened that Biden, who they've been talking about a rematch with Kamala for two weeks now, got placed in between the two black candidates when the issue is going to be raised. That, that just happened to be random. This is Anderson Cooper introducing the draw. Tonight, we're taking you behind the scenes of the upcoming Democratic presidential debates that CNN is hosting in Detroit. Now, usually how candidates are chosen for debates, which night they appear on, who's standing next to them on the stage, that's all decided behind closed doors. But not tonight. Tonight, we want to be as transparent as possible. Twenty candidates have qualified to appear in the debates, which take place in less than two weeks. So many candidates, the debates will take place over two nights, July 30th and 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNN. Now, we want you, the voters, to see how we're choosing which 10 candidates will appear on stage together on each night. The candidates and their campaigns are waiting to learn who they will share the stage with, and they're going to find out just as you will and we will live tonight in the draw. They have like six people, and they're having a panel discussion in between the draw. They're drawing it out. Like the NCAA tournament, when they pick the 64 teams, they make it like an hour-and-a-half show. Mm-hmm. Really, They're doing the same thing here. And they have three different people set up at three different prices-right-like games 
there's a bag game where you stick your hand in the bag and price is right and you pull out the numbers to try and win a car. <laughs> and every time you pull out an X, you get a strike. If you get three strikes, it was like that. <laughs> and they kept shuffling and they're going, I'm shuffling the cards now and I'm putting them through and I'm going to put these cards. They're being very like, you know, and then they show the overhead shot. So, so that you know they're not lying. <laughs> like a magic show? Yeah. Here, here's them describing how it works. We'll be putting the candidate cards into one box titled presidential candidates. We'll put the date cards in this other box titled debate night. And then randomly we'll draw a name and a date to determine which night each candidate will appear. There's one more piece of this puzzle that still has to be decided. Coming up. We're going to reveal how the candidates will be positioned on stage each night. How dramatic he is about that. That was teased right before a commercial break. (laughs) Only for us to find out that Biden is sandwiched in between the two African-American candidates. That's all I pulled from that. I just thought it was funny. There's no chance that. There, well, I shouldn't say there's no chance. I find before when I heard that they were like doing a drawing, I was thinking, yeah, they're not separating Biden and Kamala Harris. No, there's <laughs> you know? no way. There's no chance of that. So 50-50, I'm wrong, you know, but they didn't. So it actually gets up to like 66%. Yeah. Uh, but I really want to bet on Stacey Abrams winning the nomination. You can. I want to make 50 grand on that. Predictit.com. So. What is it? It's called predictit.com. And uh, I wonder what the odds are because I want how much do I have to put down to make fifty? It's like you buy shares. So if they have Can different questions, you? like will Stacey Abrams enter by this date? And if is only is it not possible to like go to Vegas and bet? I tried to find that. Honestly, I couldn't. I might go to Vegas. Well, you <laughs> might be able to find something if you go there. I couldn't. This is the only thing that I could find that actually had her included on it. Most things I found didn't even have her on the radar. But it's like you, if it's only 13 cents, then most people don't think she's going to do it. So you can buy as many as you want at 13 cents. Yeah. And then if she ultimately does, yeah. then you get 100 cents per. Yeah, that's thing. what I'm hoping for is like really great odds. And I actually know somebody who's going to Vegas, so I'm going to. There you go. And it may be a listener. If you're my listener going to Vegas in August. All right. I would normally wouldn't play a clip like this, but. It's just so glaring what they're doing to really thrust racial division into the spotlight. I get so exhausted by all the racial stuff. I know they're shoving it down our throat, but I just... Everything about that debate was racial, and it's going to be even worse tonight because because it's going to have the Kamala and Biden thing. I was watching this Don Lemon interview. Who is he interviewing? Reverend Bill Owens, the founder and president of the Coalition of African-American Pastors. You see, Trump had invited 20 African-American pastors to the White House, and clearly that is just another example of how racist he is, according to Don Lemon. Even well, you know that that Janine Garofalo thing, like why Herman Cain was doing well in the polls? Yeah. You know oh, the story. Right. It was like conservatives are so racist that in order – to prove they're not racist, they have to support <laughs> yeah. a person of color. I was like, I can't. Then what? That kind of explains liberals to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I think there's the that thing going, and certainly the proof thing is is a part of it. Anyway, you can tell me to stop it at any point. It's a bit of a long clip, so tell me to stop if you want to no, chime I'll, in. Okay, okay. 
The president tweeted today that he was looking forward to his meeting with wonderful inner city pastors. Any concern for you that the president used this meeting with black leaders to insulate himself from that criticism? I don't think so. I don't I don't think that at all, because I've been to the White House four times in five months. So it was nothing about insulating mm -hmm. him from anything. He wanted to hear from us what our concerns were and what he could do to help us. Wow, that's so, awesome. Pastor, you've said that's exactly what my thoughts were. Yeah, because four or five times, I never heard about that. So it's not even right. like he was like trotting the guy out. Exactly. On stage. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. CNN's banner makes it out like it was a last, last ditch effort thrown together to make it look like he's not racist. Yet it's been going on for a while. I mean, that's the kind of thing that makes me think like with all, despite all the smoke and mirrors and all the BS that I think is going on. And I think Trump's an actor and, um, you know, there is. Trump comes off as much more stupid than I believe he is. Yeah. I think that's why Joan Rivers isn't here anymore, because she would have called that out. Like, this is an act. Come on. Perhaps. So so I don't know if he's the one who's actually wanting to hear from them or whoever is doing stuff, you know, whoever's the power behind the throne there. But to meet with the guy four or five times, it, it seems to me it can't just be photo op, you know, and Don Lemon's the one who's putting him on broadcasting it it's not like he's being trotted around on fox say four or five times say it again four or five times that's the first i've heard right right yeah that's the first time i'd heard about it too. it makes me think that they really do want to know not because they're like full of compassion but because they care about certain constituencies you know they want to get information and they can get it from somebody who probably has it but they care about the information which is something yeah and that's not the right answer on cnn <laughs> okay Controversial things before in 2012, you equated President Obama's support of same-sex marriage to supporting child molestation. You later walked that back, but that in itself hold is on, an outrageous statement. This is right after he who, said that. Who who supports child molestation? Yeah, I'm going to pull it back a little bit so you hear. <laughs> yeah, the, let's hear, hear that end. again. Don Lemon doesn't like his answer, so he starts associating him with a child molester. Right. Times in five months. So it was nothing about insulating him from anything. He wanted to hear from us what our concerns were and what he could do to help us. So, Pastor, you've said some controversial things before. In 2012, you equated President Obama's support of same-sex marriage to supporting child molestation. You later walked that back. But that in itself is an outrageous statement. Why should anyone take you seriously? I've never said, I've never said that. I've never said that. I have never said that. <laughs> nice. I had a difference with Obama about same-sex marriage. I've never mentioned a child about a President Obama. Never, never, never. If I did, find it. Nice. They well, picked mean, the wrong guy. How vile is that? You know what? I, I bet about this guy. I don't know who this guy is. But that sounds like a guy... Who's for real? I'm he, not saying I agree with what he's saying, but he does not sound like a politician. He sounds like a guy who has a moral compass. You might not like where it points, but you might like where it points. Who's about right and wrong. He knows who he is. I dig that. Who is this guy? What's his name? Reverend Bill Owens. He's the founder and president of the Coalition of African-American Pastors. Okay. And Don Lemon keeps going. I've never yeah. said that. Uh, you, that and this is a quote. Okay, if if you watch the men who have been caught having sex with little boys, you will note that all of them will say that they were molested as a child, Owen said at a news conference in 2012. For the president to condone this type 
of thing is irresponsible. He later walked those comments back saying he didn't think the president was condoning molestation. Is that not correct? That is correct. I, I've never felt the president was doing that. As a matter of fact, the president is a gentleman. We had a deep conversation with one of his key assistants to talk about the things that we disagree with him on. And the only thing I disagree with President Obama on was same-sex marriage. That's the only thing. Bitter reporters tried to get me to go into other avenues, and I would not do it because I feel same-sex marriage was ungodly. And I took that position then. I take so, it now. So, uh, you know, I know it's hard for you. You think it's hard to believe that Trump is. So but nobody ever explains what he said, that sort of thing. What what was that sort of thing? Was it just gay marriage that he was associating with child molesting? What Don Lemon read as a quote, the key phrase was that sort of thing. If that Obama supports that sort of thing. So I would like to know the broader context of that quote. And I would would too. Yeah. So because I think it's true that people, child molesters, whether girls, boys or anything like that, often had had childhood sexual trauma. Yeah. And I think Don Lemon is trying to imply that he is saying that every gay person is a child molester, which didn't sound like what he was saying to me. The other thing is, and I think it's obvious that all across the media, particularly in this case and Don Lemon especially, is they're really never, ever interested in the truth or in a in a reasoned debate about genuine differences of opinion and conscience. And right. really, you know, I'm not I'm not even criticizing Don Lemon. He was chosen for this job because he's so good at living in that little narrow space. But that's what I mean, this is such a pure example of the left right paradigm and you know what what the propaganda nature of fox versus cnn but when it it really gets demonstrated and you've brought this numerous times when their positions flip so yeah it's outrageous that trump's pulling out of syria it's like are you serious you're like <laughs> you're the liberal remember uh-huh. you know so this guy came on don lemon gave him one opportunity to denounce Trump and call him a racist, and then he had all of this stuff ready. Right. Because I feel same-sex marriage was ungodly, and I took that position then, I take it now. So, uh, you know, I know it's hard for you. You think it's hard to believe that Trump is racist, but he's repeatedly used racially charged language. He consistently attacks black and brown elected leaders. So why is that hard to believe, Pastor? Well, I, I find President Trump uh, leaders of all colors. He he attacks who he will. He's his own man, and I can't I can't dictate what he should or should not do. But he does not just attack black people. He attacks anybody, and you know it. So, as a as a man of faith, as a Christian, you're saying he attacks anyone. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're condoning attacks. Is that Christianly or, or godly? Are you? I'm just stating a statement of fact. I'm not condoning anything. I'm stating a statement of fact. President Trump does not pick the people he attacked because of color. There you go. Yeah. So as soon as he said that, then Don was ready with, are you, but that kind of thing, that kind of like me, I'm a good debater like that. So when I'm having a fight with my husband, an argument. I bet that's fun for him. Oh, 
Oh, it gets real fun because <laughs> when he's right and I'm wrong, he still loses the argument. And then at the end, I'll say, okay, you understand where you went wrong in that? I was wrong here. And, <laughs> and he laughs. He tells the story to people. He's like, it's impossible to argue with her. So you give she, him coaching on. So he's usually right. I just, I get so frustrated because I, uh, the argument just takes on a life of its own. And usually it ends up, we're just laughing hysterically, which in reality, that's a problem because <laughs> he never stops like not washing the pots correctly. To I should honestly be like, you know, the guy works hard. He doesn't need to wash the pots, but he makes such a mess when he's cooking. It's so messy. And I, I'm just like, dude, I can't, I can't start cooking it. I can't start cleaning for four hours of this. Hour. But anyway, so he doesn't yeah. let, you know, how laughter like makes you, you always forget the best jokes because laughter like kind of snaps you out of thinking. Yeah, it's the way it makes you feel. Yeah. So. So, like, I'll tell him the same thing, but if we have, like, an argument like that, I'm just like, you need to tell me that you work really hard and I should just clean it and blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> like, so, uh, yes, but he never remembers anything because we always end up laughing. But my point is that what Don Lemon was doing is just arguing to be argumentative. He's not getting anywhere with it. He's losing every argument. He's starting and then changing the nature of the argument, which is what I do (laughs) when I'm losing. Nobody else catches it, but that's what he's doing. And his whole goal is to make that guy look discredited. And it just shows that all you're trying to do, like in my case, I just want to be right. Like at the end (laughs) of it, out of the heat of the argument, then I'm like, I don't care if I'm right or not. You know, we're all friends here. But, you know, when you're in an argument, you want to win. And then, but what he is doing, it's, it's worse than just wanting to win. It's just being in an emotional kind of vortex. He's actually trying to make an important point to the world with the intent of really changing the world, moving the dial without regard to truth or goodness now i guess the way you know it's that newspeak thing it's that communist idea where lies are fine you know the ends justify the means so they'll say that i I mean openly like it's you have to do what you have to do to get the win for the good of mankind yeah but you know my old thing is morality has arisen up or been handed down by God, or, or risen up from 10,000 years of human civilization, morality, law, concepts of justice, liberty, all that stuff, because they are the right answer for humanity. And and Ron Paul's final speech in Congress was uh, really made that point. Like he has concluded in these many years that the greatest good for the most people comes from liberty. And so so the ends justify the means. The means are all there is. And that's a moral concept, and that's that is in my mind the greatest the greatest flaw. It's they've created a population of people who follow them, who it doesn't matter if you're black or white. If you disagree with them, you're racist. Well, but he went beyond that. Don Lemon went beyond that. He He said, "Right, you're evil." Too. No, but he said, oh, so you're saying just attacking people is okay. You're a man of God. Attacking people is not okay. Like he moved beyond the race thing. He just said to him, the guy, I think. It's a character attack. Owens, like 
No, I think Owens said, I think Owens made, made a definitive statement. Nothing he can say. This is my answer. I don't think he's a racist. This is why. And you know it. And then Don Lemon, instead of accepting defeat and saying, maybe he's not. You're, you got a point there, which, of course, he can't do. But he did turn around and say, oh, as a man of God, you condone that he tax people of all color? Is that what you're saying? So he just didn't care. He just, yeah, maybe he was just trying he, to I think, his character, Yeah, he's but definitely doing that. I think he's discrediting the witness and he's giving solutions to people. Say, like, say we're talking to somebody and we're saying, but wait a minute. Maybe, maybe Trump's not racist. Listen to what this guy has to say who's a black pastor, a man of God, who went to the White House. Don Five Lemon times. is furnishing them the so rebuttal. So many times he doesn't even remember. Sorry, go ahead. Don Lemon is furnishing the rebuttal for when we make this argument of, here, listen to this this African-American who's a man of God, who went to Trump's White House, who doesn't believe that Trump's racist. So they'll go, oh, no, but that guy thinks that gay people are child molesters, and that guy, he, he thinks it's okay to attack people, so he's not really godly, so you can't trust what he says. Yeah, right, but I do think that as you thought when you pulled that clip, I'm sure Don Lemon did not make his case. Oh, no. Don Lemon didn't make his case. I don't think the point for him – I think he brought that guy on just like they just had those guys him. on in the debate to attack him because that guy might go on other networks. And and the way they do it is this – You, I mean it just happens all day every day. They will never show the clip. The, the clip will probably disappear, and there will be a legacy of what – of what mincemeat Don Lemon made of Bill Owens when he interviewed him. Like, I'm not predicting that in this particular case, but quite often you see where they will say, I, I actually, it happened to me once. I had a troll attack me for the Boston Marathon bombing thing. Yeah. And he called my show and uh, I didn't fall for what he was saying. And he went to my Facebook page and said, oh, I short circuited her or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> I just didn't. You know, but that's what he said. And yeah. who's going to hear it? Yeah, yeah. Who's going to know? So there was the legacy in black and white. That was absolutely not true. But but the audio was in the wind. So. Right. All right. I got a couple more clips and then I'll let you take over. I know you have some stuff you want to talk yeah. about. I mean, I'm happy to, but it's nothing pressing. I just want to play this one because I want to show an example of a tactic that we see all the time, and I know you know it, and people listening know it, but I think it's, it can be easy to miss it when they use emotional appeals and things are moving so fast. This is an example of a common technique of not answering the question that you're asked, but answering the question that you want to answer. This is Bernie Sanders. Senator Sanders, you want to provide undocumented immigrants free health care and free college. Why won't this drive even more people to come to the U.S. illegally? This will have a strong border protections. But the main point I want to make <laughs> is that what Trump is doing through his racism and his xenophobia is demonizing a group of people. And as president, I will end that demonization. If a mother and a child walk thousands of miles on a dangerous path, in my view, they are not criminals. <clears throat> I bet most people would have a hard time recalling what the actual question was. <laughs> Did you notice You're how, get how quickly invaded because of free college? Yeah, exactly. And you notice how quickly he dispatched that we're going to have strong border security. But what I really want to talk, really. So what but do the you mean? Strong border security for him to throw that out there—that's a right. hot button. Elaborate, please. Yeah, that was a little instead of, of shifting. 
He wanted to answer why they deserved free health care, not, mm-hmm. not about why is it drawing them in, which clearly it's going to make people come here if they get There's a bunch no of free, free stuff. There's no free health It's health care that we are paying for. <laughs> and uh, to me, the health care thing is a way of getting people sicker anyway. There is a thing called the Hispanic paradox that people should Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, they're, the life expectancy of a, a Spanish-speaking person who emigrates to this country is eight years longer than an American English-speaking person who was born here. And yeah. and the, the I would say the prevailing theory is that they have no access to our medicine or our health propaganda because they all come from different countries and have radically different diets. Yeah. Obesity, stuff like that. They're more obese, but they don't listen to our nonsense and don't go into our medical facilities yeah they don't get hooked on what although i know they go to emergency rooms and stuff from what i've heard i don't know what did williamson call it last night the sick care system or something which yeah it's not not good it's not a good system i'm beginning to get like super depressed about it when i listen to people who get really radical so you know my brother died uh they say he died of aids it's on his thing is like pneumonia or whatever but really it was azt poisoning he thought so i thought so my mother thought so and azt is the medicine is what they well it was a toxin that was illegal to give people until they changed it for aids victims which made aids feel like a fatal disease but once they stopped giving azt nobody got aids anymore and there's a pretty convincing argument that aids is not a virus it's a syndrome which it is which is caused by uh, extremely unhealthy habits, especially drug abuse, yeah. and also sexual habits that introduce bacteria into the bloodstream that isn't normally in the bloodstream, but yeah. also IV drug use, amyl nitrile, whatever, poppers, all this you know, stuff that was really prevalent in uh, homosexual and drug-using communities in like i don't know what so anyway but these but so what it supposedly is is radical cell death necrosis instead of apoptosis i've been listening to this and uh when your cells die like that a lot of genetic material floats around mitochondrial material which is different from your dna so it can look like it's not i don't know they just say it looks like little fragments of dna that they're identifying as a virus, but they haven't isolated it, grown it, and then transmitted the disease to a living organism from this isolated, incubated virus. So they that like that's the kind of original standard for what a virus is. So anyway, so I just started listening recently to alternative thinkers on this stuff. And then like they take it to the extreme. I'm not judging them. I'm just I'm not making a judgment on whether this is true or not, but like some people will say there's no such thing as a virus, that that has never actually happened with a virus, only bacteria, mm. that they isolate it, grow it, and transmit it. I don't know. I really don't know. But the more I'm listening to this health stuff, the more kind of like terrified and depressed yeah, yeah. I am. If you look into it, like the people who say that it's energy, that health depends a lot on energy, and that electromagnetic radiation is bad for you. I mean, that really does foster the whole tinfoil hat thing but it's really getting to me (laughs) yeah it's just getting to me so anyway but the whole point is like if you if you listen to too much of this stuff they'll get you to believe that just that 
you're just dying because you're getting medical help in this system. And when I looked through in my mind all the people who died like of anything other than old age, they I could like three quarters of them. I would say it wasn't just that they died in a hospital while getting medical care because they were terminally ill. Three quarters of them that medical care for sure killed them way before they would have had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the medicine definitely is the thing that killed them. That is absolutely, especially in hospitals too, with the medicine and with the bacteria that that's passed around in like ICU. That's why my son, I did not want to take him to the hospital. He had this terrible, like his face was swelling up like a balloon and I had no idea what it was. And I was just, and my other kids were like, you have to take him to the hospital. I was like, I don't want to take him to the hospital. (laughs) Then he was in the hospital for three days and it didn't really work, but it wasn't, he, it arrested the situation. But then when I took him to, ended up, it was a a skin infection or like a psoriasis infection. And then I took him to a dermatologist who immediately figured out what it was and gave him like an antibiotic that worked perfectly. But uh, but I was terrified because they were like, oh, it could be MRSA. It could be necrotizing fasciitis. And I was like, I don't even want to be here if that stuff's here. You know, I don't want it. I mean, not for myself, but for him. And then he was so scared. He's like, I don't want to die. Like, I- In those situations, having somebody there and not everybody does helps because a lot of people, at least from my experiences in hospitals, Nurses are overworked, especially in emergency care situations, and it's just a lot going on. And without somebody there to kind of watch from the outside to ask questions and stuff, then that's when a lot of things can happen. I was I was paying attention, and my brother-in-law is like a physician's assistant and was a, like an emergency – like a, um ambulance guy. Yeah. So he really knows that's like, great. ER stuff. Yeah. That's so I was great. texting yeah. him and I was showing him pictures of like the IV bags and all this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was just so really paying do, attention. Yeah. But they were scaring me. And I, you know, I just, it was well, a scary. is a big thing that can happen. Well, I was worried about that stuff, the skin stuff that can't uh, respond to antibiotics. Like that's what I worry yep. about. So I think Obamacare is a scam, <laughs> you know, not just like a socialist scam, but like yeah. a a health scam to get us to be less healthy, to make healthcare an even greater business industry. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I'd have one more clip. Remember Alrighty. we played the Top Gun 2 trailer last week? Are we talking I don't about, think we played did it. I, did I not play the trailer? I don't. Maybe I didn't play. I don't no. think I heard the trailer. I, I put the trailer in the show notes. That's what I did. I just talked about the trailer. All right. Well, I put I, it in the show I, notes. I'm going to play you something play. right here. There's a new Angry Birds movie coming out. You know Angry Birds. <laughs> yeah. This is from the United Nations YouTube page. Talk about blatant propaganda right here. This video is titled "The Angry Birds and the UN Join Forces on the Act Now Climate Campaign." We're all in danger. We need to put aside our differences and work together. I'm in. The birds and the pigs from the Angry Birds movie 2 are becoming frenemies in the important fight against climate change to protect our planet. The United Nations has a plan to help the Earth, and they need all of our help before it's too late. The Angry Birds movie 2 is working with the United Nations on the Act Now campaign. We need you to act now. Every choice we make matters. Every action we take counts towards protecting our planet. From the food you eat to the clothes you wear. We only have one 
How will you fight climate change? Here are some ideas to get you started. Try meat-free meals or eat more vegetables, nuts, and grains. I eat dirt. <laughs> Reduce your electricity use. Unplug and spend time outside. You are hero. Give your clothes a second chance. Use old clothes for new looks. <clears throat> Drive less, walk more, and take public transportation. Hey, at least we're going to get all our steps in today. Recycle and reuse. Bring your own bags and use a reusable water bottle. We got it. Cut Act now. Actua ya. Act now for a happy planet. Take part in the global movement. To save our world from being destroyed. What we really need is a hero. Actually, that position's been filled. Booyah! Join the angry birds to make a difference. Go to un.org slash act now today and choose your action. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Working with what we got. Unite for a better world. There's the movies that are being shown to our children. <laughs> Most of that stuff I'm on board with. I think meat is good, though. I'm not a no-meat person. You know, there's another one I found where it's the United Nations explained, but it's explained to children. <laughs> oh, my God. Please spare us. And it's basically like the United Nations is the governing body for the world that makes a decision on behalf of all of the people. It just explains a world government dictator, yeah. basically, yeah. It, but it does it in animation form. And says that it's benevolent and can be trusted. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I know you want to talk about a few things. So yeah, I, wanna... I wanted to – I don't know if I should just rattle off my what to watch out for. One thing is what we talked about on the WSB show this week – I had a lot of people calling. I don't know why when we started talking about Mueller, people just wanted to vent like how abused Trump is and all that. And I agree. Yeah. But what it did was – and I noticed this with George W. Bush, who I had no reason to like there. As my mother said, he signed everything that came across his desk. You know, so when he had a Democrat Congress and you know he banned light bulbs, like what the heck? So I didn't like that guy. That he was, to me, just another big government socialist. And, but I felt absolutely defensive about him. Not, I had no, no positive feelings towards him whatsoever, but I dismissed every single attack that the media put on him because they were so ridiculously over the top in attacking him. So yeah. it just made me defend him. Yeah. And that's what happens with Trump. So I had people calling and I like to give them their voice because I know people who listen to me like feel sad because they think I don't understand Trump. Right. So I like them to make sure that they've explained it to me so I can say, yes, I understand. And the one guy, I gave him like a full five minutes, but he basically he was very articulate. He rightly claimed that he tries to stay informed. But for me, what he laid out about Trump, every bit of it, how he won, what he's doing, why they're doing it, it, it just was such a an encapsulation of kind of like what Rush Limbaugh's talking points memo at the beginning of the year or this campaign or whatever this presidency was. Like, this is the story, like a one-page thing. And the way Rush brings it out, it's not like in narrative form. So you, it's not spoon-fed. You process the data points, and you come up with the narrative yourself. And it's hard. It's like when they hide food for grizzly bears in captivity. 
they grizzly bears don't want to eat stuff that's just out there. It, they don't trust it, and they need their mind stimulated for them to believe it's real food. That's what my understanding is. So that's what this guy was doing. He just delivered me why he likes Trump, and then somebody followed up by saying, you know, I love you, I love your show, but how, you know, if Hillary had won, how do you, how could you claim we'd be in the same place? Yeah. And what I was trying to answer was, like, the only things I care about, I care about a few things. Like, I, I, I am an anarcho-capitalist. I don't really believe in the Constitution. I could accept the Articles of Confederation or even the Constitution if it was adhered to, but it's not. So the Bill of Rights, is it protections? Like, I don't consider that a governing document. Those are the protections that we have against the governing document that it's tacked onto. So I really care about the Bill of Rights, and Trump doesn't. Uh, so that's number one for me. But right. but there are three things that I really, really worry about, really can't sleep at night because of. And there would, in my opinion, be no difference between a Trump presidency and uh Clinton, Hillary Clinton presidency, or anybody who could win. And I, I might have mentioned them on the air, but I just think it's worthwhile, like, focusing on this uh, in kind of reverse. Like, I don't even know what order to put this in. So war, just them using my money and my my claim to a right of self-defense to murder people in other countries for their material gain and to organize the world by you through evil means for evil ends probably the war is just terrible and i do not want my government creating it and they do the debt is insane and i should have made this point with the guy who said well he cut taxes i don't want him to cut taxes i want them to raise taxes i who think taxes are absolutely immoral stealing I want them to raise taxes so that we have a balanced budget because then you're going to get the correction that you need. People are just are not going to be able to pay that. But instead, they cut taxes. So we think that we are more prosperous. Interest rates are low and we have this debt that cannot be paid back. That is treason. We have bankrupted mm -hmm. the most prosperous country since the beginning of civilization and we are mortgaging our children on that and it is treason and nobody's stopping it and trump is got his pedal on the metal just like everybody else and the last thing for me is uh the total information control thing obama was surveillance trump is censorship but ultimately the 5g internet of things that will monitor and record everything we do, every place we go, everything. Did and you see I that just, AJC article I tweeted at you? Which one was it? The one about the Georgia Tech finding about the smart cars talking to everything that you own, which we already knew, but to see that coming from Georgia Tech. Yeah, they're ready to roll it out. Well, right. I had a few articles. One was in the journal that said the DNA 23andMe is, has a joint venture with Glaxo to share – or Glaxo bought into them to share all the DNA information they have. And they said it was always part of the vision to share it with Big Pharma. Obviously, it was always part of the vision to share it and record it. But there it's right out in the open. And uh, the facial recognition stuff, I, there's an article today that it's going to camps and schools. And they have concerns about the data. It's like, well, 
don't be concerned. Be absolutely secure in the knowledge that it will be used for the master database. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine, my, my friend of mine, my um, niece's boyfriend, took uh, wanted to get a job at Amazon, and they said he needed to give his DNA and blood work before he was allowed to work, I think, in a warehouse. Really? Yes. See, and, uh, and you know, just, oh, shoot. Yeah, Kev. So all this stuff is about total information. And they're, you know, this is the thing that I'm most worried about, both because of the total surveillance aspect of it, total censorship, total information control. And I am, I'm really concerned about the health impact. They just don't, they don't have an answer to that. And we don't need it. We don't need it. What do we need to do? We don't need it. They want it for the Internet of Things. We don't need that. We're already hyper-productive, hyper-comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't need it. Well, you talking about 5G? Yeah. You're right. We don't need it, but they're making us desire it. I really think that they are intentionally rattling the Internet. Through yeah. AT&T especially, because it has gotten worse and worse over the course of the past two years. And the other day, I heard somebody I know, we were like, your internet's terrible here. It's it's unusable almost. And they were like, well, we're going to have 5G installed soon, so it, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, you know, I've told you about it. I've told you about this, but people, they're, I think they're rattling it to create a demand for it. So people are just so frustrated with their internet. If they just give me the 5G, give me the good well, stuff. That's my theory about why nobody talks about the vision and hearing impairment these kids are absolutely destined for. Yeah. With being constantly plugged in, eyes and ears, they're all going, and it seems to me absolutely predictable that they're going to suffer impairment in their sensory organs and that they're going to want to or have to have hearing aids, glasses, or implants that allow them to interact with these devices when their sensory organs fail or to interact with the world in general. You know, they might develop technology that can fix some of this stuff, but we're the guinea pigs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm saying they're, the kids are going to beg for the fix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to beg for it. Well, how else are you going to get people to like implant stuff in their heads? Well, if they can't hear or see, they're going to do it. They're already doing that in places. They're putting chips in people where they can like open their garage door with their and they and you'll and see. I think it was a Super Bowl commercial where they showed that augmented reality or virtual reality, and they showed severely handicapped children, physically disabled children, saying, "I can't get out of my chair." I can't, I can only lift this one little finger, yet I am Robotron in this thing, exactly the same as everybody else. Yeah. And, and that, it was like, it make you cry by the end of the commercial. And it's like, wow. So converting our children into the digital world is a good thing. That is coming. That's it's I mean, the great those equalizer. Are the, those are the warriors that they're recruiting from gaming conventions, like Ender's Game. That was what I, that was like a red flag that came up when I was reading that World Economic Forum white paper on, on like, yeah, how warlike video games affects teen boys. And they, of course, like, it's like, oh, and how to prevent bad things from happening. It's like, well, my guess is this study is about just figuring out the data, figuring out the information and using it for good or ill, but figuring out the information.
You were talking about DNA a moment ago. That made me think of this. There's a Harvard professor who is documenting the effects, the benefits, and the side effects of editing specific types of genes using gene editing. And this DNA collection database that you were just talking about, it seems like this would factor into that because if they're collecting the DNA of every single person, then what they're going to have is a database of genes that I would think would enable them to quickly find the right combination of genes to use in gene editing to create, I don't know, super soldiers. Not like what you see in movies, but there are some potential type of superhuman type qualities. I don't want to say superhuman, but you know what I mean. That can come from doing the right combination of gene editing. But like I said, there's the benefits, and this Harvard guy is documenting the potential side effects that might come along with some of these gene edits that people might be tempted to try in order to enhance themselves. Well, a long time ago, I did a show on the babies that were born to three parents. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I, w- I don't know why I was not totally up to date on the research, but I predicted, of course, like a DARPA application. And then when I went and looked, the guy, the doctor who had basically illegally conducted these experiments that were just not allowed – was at Walter Reed Hospital, which I think is the Army Research Hospital, and he's there yeah. now. Oh, he's still there? No, that's where he ended up after these experiments. I was like, oh, I bet that guy works for DARPA. And <laughs> uh, and I didn't realize he already moved over to DARPA after he did all these illegal experiments that nobody noticed or slapped him down for. I think I think that was the story. There were like 30 babies born to three parents. I wonder – they'll never follow up like – how healthy those kids are or if they could reproduce, you know, you've got to be able to reproduce. Oh, they're currently, there are, they're starting to create gene-edited babies. They did it in China and they're already moving on to more trials. Going back to that list for a second, that list of genes that this Harvard professor is documenting, have you ever seen the movie Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. Bruce Willis has that super bone density. His bones don't break, but he can't swim. Uh-huh. That's real. They're like that with gene editing, you can edit a certain gene that will give you this super-powered bone density, but the side effect, according to this research, anyway, is that you might sink every time you get in water. You might never be able to swim again, mm-hmm. just like the movie. And <laughs> they have a list of all these genes that can be edited oh to uh, to a, that would essentially turn you in to kind of a superhuman That seems like a good place to wrap it up at Genetically Engineered Superhuman. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I want to remind everyone listening that this show is supported by you guys. So donate if you can. We do need all the help we can get to continue to uncover this information that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Share it with your friends. Leave us a good rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Thank you for listening, guys. We will talk to you next time you're listening to The Propaganda Report. See you later, Monica. Later.